Merry Christmas from Moore Memorial United Methodist Church. We hope that this sermon and the music that accompanies it today will serve as an invitation for you to worship the Lord and to reflect on the gift that Jesus is to the church and the world, especially in this Christmas season. Our church family grieves this week the death of James Shirley, a longtime faithful member of our congregation. There'll be a graveside service on Monday at 3 p.m. at the Garden of Memories to celebrate his life and to grieve his death and to testify to the hope that we have in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Please continue to hold his family in your prayers over the weeks and months to come. The church office will be open by appointment only this week, so if you need anything, please reach out to me by email or cell phone, or you can reach out to Lynn as well. We're so grateful for your faithful giving here at the end of the year, and if you'd like to give to support the ministries and mission of our church, you can do so at morememorialumc.com or by mailing your gift to P.O. Box 467 here in Winona. This week's sermon focuses on the way God vindicates his people by making us righteous and by inviting us to be a part of his mission to vindicate the whole world. I pray that it speaks directly to your heart and that it invites you to be an ever more faithful disciple of Jesus who is our salvation. May you celebrate God and his presence to his people today. Amen. Let's pray. 
Heavenly Father, we thank you for the gift of your Son, Jesus Christ, who has come in the flesh to save your people. We thank you that when we behold the child in the manger, we behold our salvation. You have knit human and divine being together in the person of Jesus Christ, that we humans might become more like you, that your image might be restored in us, that we might be saved. We pray, O Lord, that you would save us, that you would introduce us to your son Jesus in a way that reminds us that we have not been forsaken by you, but loved in a way that invites us to love the world as you have loved us. This we pray in Jesus' holy and precious name. Amen. Our first scripture reading this morning comes from the prophet Isaiah, the 62nd chapter. We'll read verses 1 through 7. Hear this word. For Zion's sake I will not keep silent, and for Jerusalem's sake I will not rest, until her vindication shines out like the dawn, and her salvation like a burning torch. The nations shall see your vindication and all the kings your glory. And you shall be called by a new name that the mouth of the Lord will give. You shall be a crown of beauty in the hand of the Lord and a royal diadem in the hand of your God. You shall no more be termed forsaken and your land shall no more be termed desolate. But you shall be called, my delight is in her and your land married. For the Lord delights in you, and your land shall be married. For as a young man marries a young woman, so shall your builder marry you. And as the bridegroom rejoices over the bride, so shall your God rejoice over you. Upon your walls, O Jerusalem, I have posted watchmen. All day and all night they shall never be silent. You who remind the Lord... Take no rest, and give him no rest, until he establishes Jerusalem and makes it renowned throughout the earth. The word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Our second reading this morning comes from Paul's letter to Titus. You can find, uh, you can find the scripture we're looking for in the third chapter of Titus. I invite you to hear this word beginning in verse 3. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, despicable, hating one another. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us, not because of any works of righteousness that we had done, but according to His mercy through the water of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit. This Spirit He poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that having been justified by His grace, or so that having been vindicated by His grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. This too is the Word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. You pray with me and for me now. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of each of our hearts find acceptance in your sight, Almighty Father. For it is you who are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. 
This is the last sermon that I'll preach in 2020, which is a weird thing since it feels in some ways like time stopped back in March. Like time is still stuck back sometime before Easter, and here we are in the season of Christmas. It seems like the best way for us to end this year with these passages is with a call to prayer. So that's fundamentally what I have to say to you today is an invitation to pray. It's a call to prayer because Jesus is born a child of blessing and promise. And it's not just that he is the one who will save us and that he has arrived. In his arrival, we find salvation. We see this in Simeon's prayer in Luke 2 when he meets uh, Jesus at the temple. He says, Now, O Lord, let your servant depart in peace according to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. This is long before Jesus dies on the cross, long before his resurrection and ascension and glorification. Simeon beholds the child Jesus, and he says, My eyes have seen the salvation of the Lord. Jesus is here. We are saved. Period. He's here. It's accomplished. We see it in Titus as he describes what happens when God shows up in goodness and loving kindness. We once were foolish and disobedient, easily led astray, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by men and hating each other. That's where we were. But in Christ, God has shown us His goodness and His mercy, His loving kindness. Not because of what we have done, not because of our righteous deeds, because we're not righteous or blameless, and we haven't done anything praiseworthy. But in Christ, God has shown us his goodness and his loving kindness. By his own mercy, he's made us new through the waters of baptism. He has led us to be reborn by the Holy Spirit, which has been poured out on us through his son, Jesus Christ. This is sure. It's complete. Salvation is real and it's here. The unspeakable goodness that we dare not even hope for has arrived and in Christ through baptism is applied to our lives. Internally, this is true because it it rightfully situates us in faithful relationship with God our Father and Creator. And it's true externally as we're incorporated into the life of the church, the living embodiment of the kingdom of God in the world. God's salvation is real for God's people now. That's what we mean when we say Merry Christmas. Christ has arrived and is worth celebrating. And yet... And yet there's there's another sense in which the world feels forsaken. And we know it. In 2020, we cannot deny it as we feel still somehow stuck before Easter when the world stopped for this pandemic and has now sputtered back in fits and starts and nothing seems right. Salvation is here. Salvation is available. And salvation is so good. 
And yet the whole world doesn't know it yet. Much of the world feels forsaken, desolate. Maybe you yourself feel forsaken, desolate, unwanted. Those aren't words that we throw around in everyday conversation. They're, well, let's just say it, they're depressing. They almost feel like a curse to speak over someone else. To say they are forsaken, they are desolate, they are unwanted. And to call someone or something God-forsaken, that's even worse. It seems like God cares nothing for them. But that's how Israel feels as they listen to Isaiah continue to go on about the vindication of the Lord, his grand message of hope. And it is a grand promise, make no mistake about it. Israel's in exile. They've been stripped away from their homes. Their temple has been destroyed. Nothing about their life is how they thought it should be. And all they want is for things to go back to normal. They feel forgotten by God who made good promises to them. And it seems like he hasn't kept them. They feel forsaken. To be forsaken is to be abandoned, to be deserted. It's to be alone and grieving. Maybe not entirely literally alone. There might be people around, but none of those people can do anything about what it is that's making you feel forsaken. None of them can, feel, can fill the gap that you feel left by whatever it is that is gone. And the ones who could, if anyone could, are long gone and they're not coming back. To speak of forsaking is also the language of marriage. Forsaking all others to be faithful to her or to be faithful to him. This is a part of the promises that we make in marriage. Leaving everyone else, else behind for this one person. And that kind of promise is unequivocally a good thing. But it's hard to experience it that way if you're the one that's been left behind, if you're the one who's been forsaken, then you're alone and grieving. And there's no one who can come back and fix that hole. Grieving because what you had, what you long for, is gone. And it isn't coming back. To be forsaken is not your run-of-the-mill sadness. It's the devastation of a breakup or divorce. It's the earth-shattering grief that comes when, the, when a spouse or an, or a parent around whom your life has been built is gone. It's the fall from prominence or popularity or prestige or status that cannot be restored, that your identity was built in and now it's disappeared. It's the certainty, at least internally, even if it isn't true, that you're in a hole that you're never going to get out of. And to be desolate is to be entirely alone, lifeless, barren. A desert is desolate. And maybe that's how you feel today, forsaken or desolate or both. You'll never get back to what you had, that you yourself are lifeless and barren and alone in a way that no one can fix. Maybe if you could just find the words and muster up the courage, you'd admit it. 
that you feel forsaken, that you feel desolate. And to you, I encourage you to hear the promises of Isaiah that your vindication not only is coming as it is in Isaiah, but is here. Jesus has arrived. The light of the world has broken through the darkness and the darkness cannot overcome it. Salvation has come and he is here and his name is Jesus. He did not leave you behind. He could have stayed in the comforts and glories of heaven, but for your sake, he came down from heaven for no reason other than the character of his mercy and loving kindness. He said, you'll no longer be forsaken and desolate. I am going to call you, my delight is in her. I'm going to call your land married. This isn't some future pie in the sky. Maybe when we get a vaccine, maybe when I find the right person to marry, maybe I can find a hobby to ease my grief kind of hope. Here and now, Christ is for you and he is mighty to save. And he looks and he says, I delight in you. You are one of the crowns that makes up the royal diadem that I want to wear. You're a link in the garland of victory that will be put on my head. The nations will see your vindication and all the kings are going to notice your glory. You're not going to be the one left home from the prom. You are the apple of God's eye. In fact, you're going to become the crown that perfectly complements God's glory, Isaiah says. You'll be a crown of beauty in the right hand of the Lord, a garland of gems, a royal diadem in the hand of God. In Christ, God holds you up and sees you for all that you are, and he says, you are my crown of beauty. And if you think you're desolate, if you think you're forsaken, I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, maybe that's true of other people, but not of me. And I say, go read Titus again, where Paul says, all of us were wrapped up in all kinds of things that we shouldn't be a part of. None of us are saved by our deeds of righteousness, but in the arrival of God himself, we find goodness and mercy. It's not from you. It's from God that you become beautiful. And then God wears you as a part of his adorning glory. The Lord delights in you like a young man delights in his bride. That's how God rejoices over you. You can say that's nice, but there's no way it applies to me. And to that I say, I'm talking about a king who is enthroned on a cross and who's crowned with a crown of thorns. And somehow that rugged instrument of death and torture becomes for the whole world a font of life. Somehow his blood washes us white as snow. If God can turn a cross into, a, into an agent of redemption and life, he can piece you into his crown as well. No longer called forsaken. In Christ, you are called the delight of the world. In Christ, God finds you delightful and beautiful. 
And that's what we celebrate at Christmas, that that is available to everyone. A light to the Gentiles and the glory of Israel. Every category you can imagine included as heirs of the Father who has made all things and in whom all things hold together. And yet, and yet the world still feels forsaken. And Isaiah says that the Lord is going to set up watchmen. Day and night, they will never be silent. And you know what they're going to be doing? They're going to be pestering God. God is going to set up watchmen to pester him, continually reminding him of his promises. It's their job until all of it is worked out to continue to appeal to God like like an annoying child who's reminding you of the thing that you promised you would do and you forgot. But you said you would. You said you would vindicate Israel and all of your people. You said to Abram that his seed would be a blessing to the whole world. You said to David that his heir would reign over over Israel for all of eternity. You said, And God has set up watchmen to give him no rest until he finishes his work. And I wonder today, if you already know the goodness and the graciousness of God, if the gospel has already come to bear in your life in such a way that you know God delights in you, that when God looks at you, he sees you as beautiful, not because of your good deeds, but because of the way that the work of Christ has been applied to your life. Because you know the abounding mercy of God. If that's you, I wonder if maybe God is calling you to be on watch. To keep watch and to pray. Reminding him constantly of his promises. Until not just those that are in the church, but until the whole world, everyone in it, recognizes the kindness and the goodness of God. The God who's looked upon a world that seems utterly forsaken and said, I'm going to make all things new. I'm going to wipe every tear from every eye. I'm going to strip away all sickness and sorrow and sighing and sadness and even death and sin itself. Maybe God is calling you to keep watch and to pray, to remind him of his message, of his promise to pray so earnestly that it could be said that you have given God no rest until the salvation that is real and present in his church has engulfed the whole world with his goodness and light. Christ has come. Salvation is here. And yet the whole world doesn't know it yet. Maybe you didn't know it until today. But it can change you. And when it does... You can join together with the prayers of all the saints and all the angels and all the watchmen as you pray for God's mission to be done and his kingdom to come, his will to be done on earth as it is in heaven until the whole world is changed. This is the work of God in us, and this is the work of God through us. Amen. Let's pray. Lord Jesus Christ, we thank you that you have broken into our world, that your light has pierced through the darkness, 
that it is shining so brightly that no amount of darkness or sin or shame or sickness or death can overcome him. And we pray, Lord, that you would light that life, that light in our lives in such a way that we could be said to be a city on a hill. People from miles around might see your glory in us because we know that when God holds us up, he sees a crown, that he is vindicated, that he has declared is righteous, and that through us he is continuing his mission of making all things new. Write your hope and the reality of your salvation for us in the present on our hearts. This we ask in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, he who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, one God now and forever. Amen.